a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear. Hello, and welcome to this week's very special episode of Shelf Indulgence. It's World Book Day! Huzzah! (laughs) Yes, we love a good book, and today is a day to celebrate that all around the world. It's all about books, ladies and gents. Um, Now, I'm joined this this, uh, episode by Wendy, and Emily's back with us for an episode. Welcome back, Emily. Good evening, everybody. I'm here for a change. <laughs> yep, and we're going to going to talk about books generally and books and our love of books and why we love books and what we love most about books and books and more books and then books on top. And if you don't like books, you're listening to the wrong radio programme. Right, so um, I remember vividly my first encounter with a book that is in my head. Because obviously, when I was tiny, tiny, family, I know family members read books to me before I could read, before I could understand books. I've always been read to by family members. I've been told that, you know, I used to love pointing at pictures and things and helping to turn the pages. But the first book I can remember reading by myself independently, very special book. And I'm sure one that you're both familiar with. And lots and lots of listeners will also be very familiar with. The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And I, I intensely remember a sense of pride and joy that I didn't need a grown-up to help me, that I could read this book by myself. And actually, if I think about it, I'm not sure I was reading it. I just think I knew the words because I'd had it read to me so many times. <laughs> but I knew this, but I could turn the pages and I and I, and I knew the story. Um, and for me, I think that's where my love of books begins, in that... Well, in having always been read to, uh, in being able to read a book by myself, but also the other book that I'm going to mention at this point, and this is a book that is probably the first book I remember vividly that wasn't a children's, well, it is a children's story, but but not not a book that you'd read by yourself. Um, When we were little, we used to go and stay at my nan's house. Nan had a book, a huge, big, heavy, thick book, called 365 bedtime stories mm. and there was a and it was like oh there's a story for every night of the year and they were some of them were longer than others some were shorter but they were they were just brilliant they were absolutely fantastic i remember that book so well so for me that's where my love of books and all things bookish i think began wendy what about you where 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 did your love affair with the literary world begin well, I remember um, being taught to read at school. We used to have the, the you know, the famous Janet and John book. And um, each classroom had this big try with all of these books colour coordinated through. And, um, and I remember going in probably to my uh, first class. So I would have been about five at the time. <clears throat> and I remember... Before we got to the end of the first term, I'd gone right through the tray, and um, and so I, I was I, I was then able to to pick books from the library, um, to take home and and to read, which I, I got the set. I didn't realise this at the time, but looking back on it, I think that was quite unusual. Um, and so I'd just always got my nose in a book. Always, um, we too had one of those 365 um, bedtime stories. Um, and my mum used to buy me compendiums as well of uh, children's stories. You know, the bumper book of stories for girls yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I, I sort of I was brought up really on on short stories. Um, I think, but my the one that really sticks in my head was a book called Terry the Tech. And can't even remember the author. Um, It was in the last year of my infant school. So I would have been about seven before I went up to the junior school. You see, it was even before grades. So, <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how, how old I am. And, um, and this book was given to us, um, and it was a, a sort of amalgam um between sort of maths and 
English comprehension and it was a book that covered lots of different topics. Um, but I'm absolutely convinced that had I not have read Terry the Tech, who was a child detective who had to solve mysteries as he <laughs> went along. I mean, I just fell in love with that book. And and as a result, I think it's that book's fault um, that I became the Agatha Christie fan that I am today. Um, because although there weren't any murders in it, it was just it was just standard mysteries. Um I just love the idea that that people would give you clues. And if you put them together, you got the answer right. Um, so, yeah, that's the first book I really, really remember reading. Wow. Fantastic. Terry the Tech. And I should have to look it up. And, and no surprise that it's a detective story. No, no, it would have <laughs> been it would have been late 60s. It would have been around. Um, and it came through the school. So late 60s, early 70s, it would have been around and about. But um, I've never seen it since, but I absolutely loved it. How about you, Emily? What was your what's your first memory? Um, I think mine would be older, to be honest, because I don't really remember that many books when I was really that young. Um, I don't know if it's probably because I've just shut it off from my brain, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> I actually asked my mum, and apparently when I was really, really little, I loved Winnie the Pooh stories. <laughs> Um, Nothing wrong with that. Love a good Winnie the Pooh. Um, and I always remember Corey, uh, for listeners who don't know Corey's my husband, um, I remember him, he always used to tell me that his favourite when he was a kid, he's not even a reader, but he always remembers Tatty Boggle. <laughs> oh, gosh, um, yes, I remember that. I've never actually read it, so I was like, oh, he knows more than me. <laughs> um, I don't want to be generic, but I, the ones I remember are more from when I was like about 10 to 11 which is the obvious Harry Potter, because that's the reason I read in the first place. And one of the books that stayed with me when I was in secondary school, but still young, probably say like year seven, year eight, was Skellig. I used to really love that book. book. And I think even if you read it now, I think you'd learn a lot as an adult, as opposed to when you read it as a kid, because I still think it's really thrilling and adventurous. Um so yeah, more more older I think for me than yeah. young because yeah. I don't I don't particularly remember ones I've read that much when I was little. So I don't know. Well, we all have different memories. I mean, there are like I know I've got some very early memories to vivid, but there are only odd ones here and there. And then uh, you know, much better memories come in as I'm a bit older. Then my twenties are very hazy. Um. <laughs> I've just. I've just actually had a text from my mum because um, I asked her and she said, when we used to read Winnie the Pooh, you had all your t- Winnie the Pooh teddies lined up and they always used to sit and listen with you. I do remember oh. doing that because I had every single teddy and I was very precious of those teddies. <laughs> Fantastic. Who's your favourite Winnie the Pooh character? Donkey. He all. Uh, yeah, because I just, sorry, I say donkey. I've probably got Shrek in my brain for some reason. Um, I think I just just feel, feel, always felt like he needed a good hug. For me, without a doubt, no, 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 no question. For me, my favourite character is Piglet. I just love Piglet. <laughs> no, probably not the one I'm most associated with, but I just I love the way that Piglet is like the perfect best mate, just always there, always willing to be happy and go along. You know. Mm. Anyway, um, so I'd like to now go a little bit further into our love of books and think about that absolutely wonderfully rare commodity that we have available to us. The only place in Britain where you can go and not be expected to spend any money at all. The library. The library. <laughs> now, my my introduction to Burton Library, really, I suppose I must have gone perhaps when I was younger with my mom and my gran and stuff but uh similar to you andy having read many of the books in the school in fact i i believe in my junior school when i was in year five i think it was i'd actually read every book the school had mm. um including i was borrowing all the ones from year six and reading them and they were like right well you've read everything we've got so re- go and find some books so i remember taking narnia home Blind yeah. the Witch in the Wardrobe, my English teacher, who we actually interviewed, if you both remember. Yes, yeah, I remember. She she gave me Blind the Witch Wardrobe, and I'm pretty sure I've still got it. Oops. I, <laughs> I, I had to, I had to go to Burton Library to find books to to read because I'd read everything. 
And that was when I think I probably found my first real series of books that I fell in love with. Kind of the same with me, but a SWAD library, actually. Yeah. (laughs) For me, that was Hugh Lofting's Dr. Doolittle series. Mm. I used to love them because they're big and heavy and they're hardback and they're great pictures. But, uh, yeah, not too many pictures, but nice pictures. And, yeah, I used to love the Dr. Little books. I used to love going to the library and getting one and bringing it home. And then it would take you a good while to read it because it's thick. Mm. Um, I found um, a series of unfortunate events at Swad Library and the Midnight of Charlie Bone series, which, again, we've actually read the first one, haven't we? I always remember that I always associate these two series with Squad Library and being a kid. And I remember I was walking home once. I think it was actually the third series from Fortnite Events book. I was reading it while walking home and I walked into a bin and some guy who stood outside of a shop probably laughed at me. And I was like, it's just a really good book. <laughs> no, I've walked into a lamppost reading a book. Yeah. No, it's, it's happened to me. So, Wendy, what have you walked? No, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, I walked into no, when well, because obviously you're not originally from our local area. No, you're from the uh, the Black Country originally. I am, yes. And so, my local library was Bloxwich Library, which was Bloxwich. Yeah, it was a tiny little library. Um, it was on a single floor. Um, it was probably the size of a sort of um, Tesco Express, so yeah. that, that sort of size. Um. But it had a distinctive smell when you walked through the door and there were proper little chairs that you could sit in and nobody bothered you. They just left you to it. And you could pick out from the shelves whatever you wanted and take it to a quiet corner and just look through it. And I just thought it felt like it felt like a magical place to go because, you know, we we didn't have a, a we weren't particularly wealthy. We had, you know, very little spare cash. So people didn't buy books then like like they buy now. There was no such thing as Amazon or anything. So um so really for lots of people the only place where you could gain access to that quantity of reading material was at a library. And um and you realise what worries me is that with local authorities closing down libraries what happens to kids now because not everybody's got the wherewithal to go to a bookshop or to go to amazon and um and or even, even have an ipad they can read yeah, exactly it you know they all say you know oh well, you don't have to buy that you can get plenty of stuff free on kindle or whatever but a kindle's an expensive piece of kit mm. and it, and it worries me that the there isn't the places or very soon there may not be places where you can just go and read for nothing I was thinking the other day that my nieces aren't library card, but they're not holders. They're not library members. Oh, yeah. That's really sad. Well, they've, got, they've got books at home. Yeah, they don't want for books. That's not a problem. Um, my my oldest niece, uh, who's could be eight this no, she is eight. Uh, my oldest niece is um, currently reading the first Harry Potter. Um, but like, like her uncle reads more than one book at a time. So he's also devouring the, the Roald Dahl series. Nice. So, um, the thing is though, like what Wendy said, it's the experience of going to the library, isn't it? Yeah. Like we all hold memories of going as a kid. Yeah. I think we need team. to get them a, we need to get them a card. Yeah. Take- definitely. Like I, I take my nieces whenever I can, whenever I'm not at work and I love it. And they're like, which one shall we pick on DM? And I'm like, I just love it. They're, they're memories I treasure quite quite well. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And and the other thing about it is the librarian. Our librarian was a very unassuming woman. I remember it distinctly. Stick thin. You looked at her and she looked sort of quite grey, you know, there was no distinguishing features, her her hair and her face colour and her clothing was sort of almost all the same shade. So you wouldn't look at her, she wouldn't attract attention. But my goodness, mate, you could ask her a question, didn't matter what it was, and she'd have the answer. Like a walking dictionary. That's absolutely what librarians are. (laughs) Yeah. And you could say to her, I remember going in and saying, I've read a bit of this story and this is what it is. And I'd give her a snippet of the plot and she'd take me to the book. You know, Mm. and and you just think to yourself, somebody who has a love of books, has a love of literature, a love of knowledge like that, um, 
I'm sure those people exist today. Where do they go? Because because will they be able to get a librarian job in the future? Um, and it's it, you know it is a worry. I I know things have to change. I'm not a luddite, um, but it, it does concern me that it is something. It's an experience that we had as children that some children just will never have, and that's really sad. It's just not encouraged anymore, though, is it? Either no. even if they are still there, it's not. I don't think it's encouraged as much as it was. And I think they, they are, they are without a doubt, hard. wonderful resources that we need to protect and cherish. They are the only place left in the country that is a communal indoor space yeah. where you can go and not be expected to spend a penny mm. and mm. get something in return. Yeah, absolutely. The, the librarian at SWAD now that my nieces have a lot to do with, they call her the pirate lady because she does like she does story time with them, but she dresses up as different characters every time. But they're still convinced that she's just a pirate and that's all she is. I love <laughs> I don't know what her name is. You see, that's that's gorgeous, isn't it? That that sort yeah. of magic exists. I just think yeah. that's fabulous. Really good. She got the parrot that sat on her shoulder to read the story out. It was because mm. I went with them, and it, it, even I was thrilled. <laughs> no, I'm, I think that's great. I've just remembered that there's a, a story. I'm trying to find it online, so I could tell it more better than my memory would allow me about a librarian and their fantastic ability. Um, I can't find it, but much similar to what you were saying, Wendy. So it's a thing I've seen shared two or three times now on Facebook where somebody says, oh, I went into a library and said, um, I, I've got, I know a book about, it's got a red cover and something in it about goblins and uh, some vague, very vague details. And the librarian's like, oh, no, we've not got that in this library, but leave me your details. And the next day he gets an email saying, oh, yes, we've found it. It's on its way from such and such library. We're borrowing it for you. Mm. And um, as, But as I was searching, I noticed um, there's a thing on here, on Facebook here, uh, uh, on Instagram, rather, um, a, a pupil uh, at a high school in America noticed uh, – that that her library, school librarian had noticed that she'd read every single LGBT plus book in the library. So they started discreetly borrowing gay books from other schools um, to stock in the library so that she got more stuff to read. And it's that level of connection to books and to readers. And if we lose a library, if we lose libraries, that's... <laughs> That's a travesty because it's not just the books either, is it? It's that resource of local knowledge and archival information. That's like I know um, another radio show that's on uh, Microbe Radio alongside us is the Fred the Head mystery that's um, discussed. Mm. I know that Ken has found that Burton Library has been an invaluable resource for going and finding. Archival information about electoral lists and you know things like that. So they really must be cherished. But also, I suppose on top of that, there are those really special libraries. And I'm not talking about. I mean, don't get me wrong. Our local libraries are special and very, very valuable. But also, I know one of us, uh, at least one of us, has definitely been to the Bodleian. Oh, honestly, it gives me shivers when I even think of the. The word, it's the the most beautiful, well, there's two beautiful libraries, actually, and that's probably the first one. It's one of the most beautiful libraries I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> it, I don't know, because the thing is, there's a stigma with Oxford and Cambridge, isn't there, that it's really snooty and it's only where posh people go. But I went to the Bodleian and I felt so welcomed. I didn't feel like trash because I'm from Swad. <laughs> I, I just really love that place. I just love Oxford, to be honest. So, also, what what is it? Tell for those of us that's not that haven't been, and I, you know, I longed to go. But what is it about the Bodleian that really makes it stand out for you inside it? What is it that's different to other libraries? Um, well, I've got to say, I've got. I know you're saying inside, but I've got to say the outside as well because I'm really into history and old buildings. So instantly, it looks like the perfect library. Um, and it's age, it's history, 
Um, but what I love about the Bodleian as well is that it's not just it's not just a library where there's some books on a shelf. They're all about preservation and they're all about getting people to see it. It's not like there's a manuscript, but no, you're not allowed to see it. They, they, they put things forward for you to be able to see them. It's hard. I will grant you it's hard to find to go and see them because I had to send many an email to get a reader's card. <clears throat> but they're, they're really about promoting the written word, the printed word, whether it be from the 1400s or whether it be from now. And it's just constantly about accessibility and preservation. I know there is a bit of an argument with the bodily in between what's most important. Do we make it accessible, but it's probably not going to last as long? Or do we preserve it, but you don't see it? So there's this constant battle. But I just feel like they do it really well because they still make things accessible. I've also got to point out as well, that the second best library is the John Rylands Library in Manchester. Absolutely gorgeous. It's like I'd just like to say second most library in Emily's opinion. Other libraries in my opinion. Not. In my opinion, sorry, all these opinions are my own. Um, beautiful library. It's in a really modern street that is just. I suppose it's what you'd expect. And then plonked right there is this gorgeous, like I don't know, maybe thirteen hundreds, fifteen hundreds Gothic building. That's it's just so enchanting. It's quite eerie. It's a lot eerier than the Bodleian, I think. <laughs> Um, but it's just gorgeous and they've got loads of printing presses in there and I just it's beautiful. Mm. I last, love our buildings though, so last week I spent a few days in my old stomping grounds of university days in Aberystwyth. And um every morning I walked the dog along the avenue, uh, which I don't say the avenue, it's like, it is the avenue. Anyone who, anyone who knows Ambridge, if I say the avenue, they know exactly which street I'm on about. Um, and I walked down the Ave with the dog every morning. And from the avenue, there's a beautiful view of a beautiful, monumental building that stands on the hill in Aberystwyth with overlooking the town and the sea. Um, and that is the National Library of Wales. And it stands in a really prominent... And at night, when they light it up with floodlights, it's stunning to behold. Um, Wendy, do you know about national libraries? As in that they exist or the association? Oh, well, the, no. The, the, so, the, the, so the rule of what national libraries have to keep? No. Ah, so the, a national library has to keep within it Every published work of that country. So if you go to the National Library of Wales, every single book that has ever been published in Wales, they have a copy of. Every single newspaper, every single magazine, every single written word that has been published in Wales in printed form is kept in the National Library of Wales. Um, and I think there's something very special about that. Um, there's also a beautiful... Um, bit of a, it's a bit of a urban legend in Aberystwyth um, that when when we were worried that the country was going to be invaded by Hitler, there are apparently uh, that, that, that this is a completely urban legend. There is no no knowledge to my knowledge that backs this up in any way. But allegedly, there are secret tunnels underneath the National Library in Wales. When okay. was it built? Oh. Ages ago. <laughs> there, there probably will be. The Bodleian has um, tunnels underneath, and well, I'm pretty sure they use those t- tunnels to protect the books during... Well, no, no. The certain, whatever. certain fantastic um, pieces of art and national monumentally important documents slash crown jewels, etc., I don't know if the crown jewels were ever there ones, but you know things of that kind of stature were allegedly stashed, you know, deep under the hillside in Aberystwyth. But yes, I'm, I'm straying, straying from the vein. Um, yeah, there's What's a Bodleian the... oath. If if you would, if you don't mind me reading that to you both. Oh yes, I'm aware of that. It's no, very nice, yours, Emily. It's, I hereby undertake not to remove from the library or to mark, deface or injure in any way any volume, document or other object belonging to it or in its custody. Not to bring into the library or kindle therein any fire or flame and not to smoke in the library 
and I promise to obey all rules of the library. I love it. Yeah. Because I remember, I can't remember that whether this was in a film or whether it was in a programme, but somebody questioned the librarian about the losses from a library, because from a standard library, you get losses. People take yeah. books and never bring them back. And um, the librarian from the Bodleian was asked that question about, you know, what are the rules? that How do you protect the books? And she said, we have an oath. And she read this oath. And the guy was who was asking her the question thought it was really quite amusing. And he said, so what's what's your loss right? She said, we, we don't read don't don't books. No. Hmm. And it, that's that's really quite telling, isn't it? And I think that's more to do with who uses the library. That the, yes. you know, by and large, it's going to be scholars that use the library, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's possibly, why I was saying also, it's very hard to get a reader's card. I say it's possibly also quite something to do with the difficulty Emily had to get a reader's card. That's <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it was a nightmare. I was emailing people back and forth. I had to fill in a form as to who I am. I had to fill a form in as to what I was studying, why I felt it was necessary to have a reader's card. I had to explain my artistic practice. And then obviously I've got to explain why books with an art practice, because obviously they usually get stereotypically English literature students, creative writing, blah, blah, blah. It was hard work. (laughs) Well, do you know what? I think... That's fantastic, because I do think that there should be a level of protection over these valuable, valuable tomes. Wendy, what's the most impressive library or collection of books that you visited? Um, I um, I was uh, quite surprised at the new library in Birmingham. So I'd visited the old library. It's very funky, isn't it, the new library? It's very funky. It's the, it's the big square building with the sort of wire daisies all over the outside. And, and I was a bit, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of modern architecture. Um, so I was a bit in two minds. But actually, the library's phenomenal. The the books, the collection that they have, they've put um, in the lower lower level. They've put fantastic reading spaces that are like um, almost mini amphitheaters for kids, so that they do lots of reading events for children. And um, and it is it does have a real communal feel to it. Um, it's a phenomenal library. Um, but I have to say, the, the, my favourite was the university library where I studied. So I studied at, um, I studied at uh, University of Central England Library, um, and uh, I'd gone back to education quite late. So I didn't do my master's degree until I was forty, and um, and I suppose from that point of view, I could just, I learned to appreciate it more than I would have if I was. That I, that I was younger and so I just used to go and just you know spend days there really um, and just be again surrounded so I think um, that was when I was immersed in the sort of non-fiction stuff um, so it served a purpose but for me Birmingham Library was one of the funkiest and fun places as well I thought it was great. I think the thing is with the building because I agree I'm not a big fan of modern architecture either but possibly older ones might look a little bit imposing, especially to a newer generation. They might think it looks a bit pompous. Again, my opinion, I'm not saying they are, but these are just possible opinions, maybe a little bit intimidating. So if something's modern, they're at least taking history and taking up classic literature as well as modern books, but in and putting it into a modern era modern time they've got to move with it haven't they well yes absolutely absolutely they've also got to move with it because there is some level of we've got to accept the way it is going whilst also trying to keep traditional values in it i suppose Mm. and i mean you know if you look around at libraries they're all going to be doing events that like we're doing tonight about world book day they're all going to be doing events like that um all the schools will be doing you know come come to dressed as your favorite character or whatever so they are trying to keep that alive and that that connection alive as much as they can get people engaged and get kids engaged in reading um so i do think that's great but i i do think we've got to be careful that the local authorities don't go down the road of tokenism and support things like World Book Day in name only 
whilst on one hand doing a big celebration and supporting come to school dressed as your favourite character and on the other hand getting rid of their libraries. Mm. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you, you touched there on World Book Day celebration within schools and I suppose one of the one of the great things about World Book Day is that focus on youth and young people and getting them into reading. Mm. Um, you know, I remember fondly getting a book voucher um, from school as a prize because I was at school before World Book Day and I remember getting World, you know, there were prizes given. That were book yeah, token. prize day, you you often got a book token. Only spending a book token, I'm like, yes, please. Um, and still today, if somebody buys me a book token, I'm like, yes, free books, free books. Um, but now, you know, having been a teacher, I know we've given out the vouchers where children can go and get a free book. Um, and the fact that every child in the country gets a free book, you know, that's something really nice about that. But, I mean, it does lead me to that very important question I want to ask you both. So who would you dress as for World Book Day? Well, it's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it, for me? Um, and, in fact, I have I have dressed up as this character. I have dressed up in the past as Poirot. Oh. Nice. I love that, Wendy. I yeah. don't know. I think I need a bit of time to think about that. Well, whilst you're thinking, Anna, I'll give you a couple of minutes because I'll tell you now who I would go as. Who would you go as, Jim? My favourite character from the Harry Potter series, Rubius Hagrid. <laughs> Keeper of keys and ground hearts. Yeah, but Sorry, also it, it's just it's just that thing of... You know, it, there's lots of people that have effect and impact on Harry, but Hagrid's the one that gives him the photo album at the end of the first year with his pictures of his mum and dad. And, you know, and Hagrid's the one who takes him his birthday cake when he first meets him. Hagrid's the one who buys him Hedwig. Hagrid really does a lot of the fatherly things. He does, absolutely. A lot of other people aren't doing for him. My favourite scene um, in the Harry Potter films is the one where um, where he's uh, Harry's about to go home, and uh, and he says, you know, that when you get home, if Dursley gives you any trouble, you know, you can always threaten to give him um, a pair of ears to go with that lovely curly tail I left him with. And he says, but Hagrid, you know, we're not allowed to do magic outside of school. He says, I know that, but he don't do he. He don't do he. No, you don't. Trying so to think you're of right. People, trying to think of people that are funky that I'd get a lot. I'd go as. <clears throat> I'd, I'd probably. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go with someone like Dead Funky. I'd probably say Trelawney from Harry Potter because I love how bonkers she is. She's a bit silly at times but she's funky but i'd also like to go as havisham <laughs> from the great expectations because i'd love to go dressed as some dramatic i don't know loopy crazy woman <laughs> in a burnt wedding dress or like disheveled wedding dress mm-hmm. i'd love that <laughs> do you know do you know who i imagine you she's are? A, she is actually one of my favorite characters in a charles dickens novel so that one. from one of my from one of my favorite books about witches when i was younger before the Harry Potter series came out. Do you know who I would remember, who I imagine you dressing as, Emily? Oh, God. I don't know if this is going to be a compliment or an insult. <laughs> Mildred Hubble. Oh, God. When you think about it, going back to the first question, I do remember reading them as a kid, and they were fun. So, yes. And that one that used to, the witch that used to hide in the wardrobe, which was like, nope, this is too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were good. She'd be me as a witch, like dead clumsy. Yeah. A little bit not that good, but she's a good friend and she's a good a egg. Good friend, good at heart. Just occasionally like trips over everything. Isn't it strange that those books that we've read that we really loved and that we, you know, we keep close to our hearts, we talk about the characters as though they're real people. No Wendy. That's being a bookworm. Are real people. <laughs> Only in our heads. But it is that, isn't it? Quote Albus Dumbledore. (laughs) Yes, of course. Just because it's in your head. Doesn't mean it's not real. (laughs) I think as well, though, like treating them as real people 
stems from reading as a kid because we don't want to go down the sad route but I didn't have the greatest time in school so two of the things that always kept me going was art and books and I used to find friends in books and mm. that's why I read in the in the first place do you know what I mean and um there was a quote I can't remember what it's from but I know I used it in one of my art pieces in like my second year at uni and it's a quote that said I became friends with long dead writers and that's how I always felt a little bit because it was just you felt like a kinship Mm. And I think that's probably why I was so obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe because I felt like a bit of a kinship with with him. Mm. I might not obviously know who, who him, but I do know him through his writing. Yeah, 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 entirely. You know, the, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. You know, people ask me questions about Roald Dahl, and I consider myself something of an expert on Roald Dahl. And I have no when I know when I answer, I I feel like I know how he would feel. I don't feel any doubt there because I feel mm-hmm. like I, I know the man. So, at the risk of being controversial, then. Oh, go on then. <laughs> we love a bit of controversy. So, so there's been a lot of stuff in the press recently, about, actually about Roald Dahl and about a body of thinking that, that his books should be reprinted with, with some of the texture. Now, I think this is a really interesting question here because books are written in a, in a moment in time about a particular (laughs) subject or about a topic or whatever. And they are snapshots in history that they are they are never meant to grow with history because they are a full stop in that particular century or in that particular decade. Yes. So what's your view about people wanting to go back and rewrite history in that way and change some of the wording and some of the text in, in what are essentially classic books? It's well, a no from me. Yeah, it's a full, it's a definite no. You can't, you can't go back and change it because if you're, if you, or if you are going to, you can't print it saying by Roald Dahl. That's right. You've got to say by Roald Dahl, edited by mm. the Libertarian Free Press, mm-hmm. uh, whoever has gone in and said this is what we're going to do to it. You know, Roald Dahl absolutely is a snapshot in history and he belongs he's entitled to his place to his work you know you wouldn't go and rewrite the taming of the shrew because it's sexist the thing is i agree i agree with things like that because it's where does it stop (laughs) are you gonna go are you gonna go back to books from the medieval times are you gonna go back to victorians when things were written and probably are questionable now how where does it stop <laughs> but the thing is we a lot of people are saying learn from history don't repeat it but how can you learn from history if you're going to change it no that's absolutely right i, I don't i don't agree that would Even be if, i'm not saying i agree with everything that was written but i don't agree with changing it I don't but, but isn't that's what intelligence is about intelligence is about being able to be tolerant of things that you don't agree with i mean yeah. good grief if anything shows that the the review that we did of a confederacy of dunces shows that you know we hated that book with a passion um and and had a very vigorous discussion about its shortcomings but i would never say that you ought to you know, it hadn't ought to be there or you ought to just strike it from history. And also, you know, if you want, if you think you can do a better job than Roald Dahl, go and write your own stories. Absolutely. Didn't it all come, it started off, it all started because of a David Williams book, didn't it? Didn't Wasn't there a word in a David Williams book that's been criticised recently? Well, I don't I know. What, if, I can't... if there is... They should tell you what with David Wally was not with Roald. I can't remember what book it, it, what word it was. I know it was in, I think it was Gangster Granny. And even I was a bit shocked. I, even I was a bit like, oh, that's a bit of a, it, it's quite, it's it's not good. Well, but I think it's different because it's a new book. And at the same yeah. time, like you've just said, take it up with uh, with David Williams, yeah. not every author in existence. <laughs> Some of the things they've pulled out about Roald Dahl and some of the words, you know, they want to change the word fat. Mm. 
so that Augustus Gloop isn't fat anymore. But the, that, that, that word's in so many books. It's in Harry Potter, so you're going to change the whole like, Harry Potter. Augustus like, Gloop is fat. It's kind of an integral part of his character. And also, to I mean, look, I'm not saying that the world is wrong to suggest that we should be nice to people. However, I'm fat. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm fat. I quite... I'm knowledgeable and aware of the fact that I'm fat. Um, yes, I'd like to lose some weight, but I know I'm fat. And that's that's a fact. And in a similar way, Augustus Gloop is a fat, greedy child that eats far too much chocolate. And actually, part of the point here in this story and in that character is that because Augustus Gloop is greedy, he meets his bitter end. And the lesson there from the story is that, well, children, you shouldn't be too greedy and you shouldn't try and make yourselves fat through being greedy. Okay. Mm. In a similar way, they've suggested that we can't call Mrs. Twit ugly. But if you read the twits and look at the part of the story that explains about what people look like, Roll Doll clearly says in the Twitch, you might have teeth sticking out at all angles and 16 chins. But if you're a lovely person inside, happiness and sunshine will radiate out of you. That's absolutely and you right. will look lovely. Yeah. And, and that's the danger. Person because of her ugly thoughts. What, what worries me is that people who complain about stuff like this take words out of context. And it does make you even wonder whether they've read the book at all. Um, Because you're right, you know, if you read his stories, those stories are written for for children at a time when there was a moral to a story always. Um, You know, if you do this and if you're a terrible person, then you might expect terrible things to happen to you. But if you're a good person and a nice person, you'll triumph in the end. Those sort of almost generic um, moral of a story was was part of the writing at that time. And to take that away simply because it doesn't fit with this set with some people within this century is a it's a very slippery slope because what else are they going to change the thing is as well that you've got to think there's not there's a like characters like bruce from matilda he is considered as chubby fat whatever you want to say but he uses that and it's used for good and all of his classmates are like yeah go bruce because he can eat that cake because he's the only one who can fit that cake in his body because nobody else can are they going to take that out because he's considered a larger child. Bruce Boxer. It, 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 Where it, does it stop? It, yeah. Anyway, moving on from that point. World Book Day, as we know, is about books, about celebrating books, about pushing books further and foremost. And so I want to ask you both, when it comes to books, how do you try to encourage non-readers? Oh, that's dead easy. I buy books for them. <laughs> so every chance I get, every opportunity, every birthday, every Christmas, whatever, Easter, whatever, I I buy people books because I think that that you we have to encourage people to read because I just think we it's it is the most freeing thing if you. If you teach a child to read, if you get a child to read and you get them interested in books, you've opened up a world for them. You just have. And I think we should be doing everything that we can, reading to them, taking them into libraries, taking them into bookshops, buying them books, asking them questions, having discussions about stories that they've read. I think we need to engage them in on every level about literature um, and, and all aspects of it to get them interested and to get them motivated to read. And what about adult non-readers, Wendy? I do the same thing. I beat people into submission. I mean, the number of people that I I will actively, if somebody says to me, oh, well, you know, I don't, well, I don't really read, I'm getting to the stage where immediately a copy of my own book appears in my hand <laughs> and I say, you know, but you'd read something if I gave it, you wouldn't if I'd written it. And they go, oh, well, because obviously they're very polite. And they go, oh, yeah, of course. And so I, it's just what I do. I I think it's really, really 
important that we don't <laughs> you should never let a non-reader go you, no. they should, you know you have to be browbeating them into submission i think <laughs> that's probably just me i know what about you emily where do you sit on non-readers because so I've, I know I've got a f- i've you, got a you're, friend you're married who... to one <laughs> yeah it's it's a hopeless cause with him i'm afraid um i've know i know him well enough to know that it's not going to happen but I've got a friend who um, I've worked with in a couple of different jobs, um, and she says that she 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 likes the idea of reading. She loves looking at a book, at books, and she knows what 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 she wants to read. But she struggles to get into the whole sitting down and just doing it because I think she's I don't know. I think sometimes people just find it hard to just sit and just concentrate on that one thing. So what I suggested to her was um, giving herself like five minutes a day, setting like a timer. Uh, read for five minutes a day and then if that works if you because it's like attention span it's like training yourself to have a a longer attention span if that works after a week or if you feel like it should be more or less change it move it up to 10 minutes and then just keep going until you feel like you can sit for a day if you wanted to to read um she's yet to do that (laughs) but i think it's a i think it's like 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 kids isn't it you can get timers for kids to sit and read um yeah, yeah. to try and train them into reading i think i think the principles are the, are the same um and for me when people turn around and say oh i don't have the time to read i do understand it because now i'm working full-time i'm constantly knackered and i never feel like reading at the minute i'm really struggling with it a bit um but it's like kids you have to just if you can sit on your phone for five or ten minutes then you can sit exactly. and read for five or ten minutes that's exactly and that's what i'm right. doing for myself at the minute yeah. like i said i'm struggling to read for long periods of time because i'm so tired um so i'm like well if i sit for 10 minutes rather than sit on my phone i can sit and read and i think that's the same principle for younger people as well as adults um i well. also want to say for me i, I love world book day <clears throat> and i don't this is going to start off topic but kind of not i love world book day but i wish there was more for adults because it is always for kids and I'm all for encouraging kids to read because they're the next generation absolutely get them all to read. But there are people or there are adults who could do with an encouragement as well. And there are adults who love reading and not want to join in, which is why I think this show is going to be nice because an adult can sit and think, do you know, I like World Book Day. I can get involved. Mm, mm. I wish there was more for us. Yes. (laughs) And I, and I, I know Wendy and I have, uh, ambitions to try and make more of World Book Day in 2024. Mm. Uh, and there is always World Book Night as well. And World Book Night is geared towards um, adult readers. And when it first started, they used to have a list of, I don't know, I think between 25 and 50 books that they had um, collated. And you could community groups or in individuals could write to them and pick one of these books and they would give you 25 50 copies to give away um and uh the first one that i got involved with was probably i don't know about 15 years ago um and they sent me 50 copies of a um it was a obviously it was a thriller um and uh and i took it to the local hospital um i set up in a corridor um where you know the corridor between the car park and going up to the wards and i gave 50 paperbacks away to people who were either going to visit somebody or coming away from from having been and seen somebody um just as a as a gift and to get people reading and i specifically picked on people who didn't read very much um because that was what it was there to do it was there to encourage people to read more um but I, I think i'm not well, sure that they do that anymore the thing for me what reading is kind of like art a lot of people say oh i don't like art or i can't do art you can do art and you can read a book you've just got to find the thing that you like and the find the thing that not that you can do because you don't have to be a beautiful drawer to be able to do art it's finding that niche and giving some time mm. up to try that thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it might be that your book is a recipe book or a poetry book or a book on art or a book, mm. uh, an autobiography, a book of football statistics, a, a book of, um, it could be a Haynes Motor Manual. It might be a recipe book. You know, all sorts. Comic books, manga, whatever. Yeah. 
I know I know that one of my family members, um, well, distant kind of family member, she, uh, her daughter was reading a lot of uh, reading a lot of like magazines and manga, and they weren't too keen. Like they wanted her to read real books, and I was like, but it's still reading, it's still something, and it's still mm. something that's piquing mm. her interest, which is always and a good thing. All of these points draw me to something I'd like to share with you both. I don't know if you've ever heard of the rights of the reader by Daniel Pennack. Yeah. Nope. So uh, Daniel Pennack wrote uh, 10 rights that are the rights of a reader. And this post is often seen in school libraries nowadays. Mm-hmm. And it's been illustrated by Quentin Blake. So always a good start. The first right of the reader is to the right not to read. The second is the right to skip. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about that one. Because <laughs> you might want to skip bits. The third right is the right not to finish a book. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. The fourth right is the right to read it again. Oh, yeah. The fifth is the right to read anything. The sixth is the right to mistake a book for real life. <sighs> The seventh is the right to read anywhere. Definitely. Mm. The eighth is the right to dip in. Maybe just read one page from the middle of a book. The right, ninth is the right to read out loud, because some people need to read out loud. And the tenth is the right to be quiet. And I think the, I agree with them all, but I can't skip. I don't... Well, no, and that's not for you, but they are the, all the rights of the readers. Yeah, and there is, not skipping. There is at the bottom of the poster, um, Quentin has drawn a little little person who is saying to a grown-up, ten rights, one warning. Don't make fun of people who don't read, or they never will. No, that's absolutely true. I love that. I love that, Jim. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I think it's that, and it's the thing that, you know, the right to dip in. I... I, I only yesterday I was reading um, the second book of the series of St Mary's. Excuse me. Yeah, the Chronicles of St Mary's. And there was a bit I got to that was just absolutely fabulous. And as a standalone paragraph, it was just funny and amusing and didn't need any of the rest of the book to just be what it was. So, oh, Gran, just listen to this. And he's read that one paragraph to Gran and she was giggling away to herself. But, and, and it is that thing, you know, you can just dip in and enjoy extracts. You know, And there I, are times, Jim, when you carry those extracts around with you and you'll find you'll be deep in conversation. It has nothing to do with authors or books or stories. And somebody will say something and that paragraph will come back and hit you. Oh, yes. And you start to giggle. And then you have to explain why you're giggling. And the difficulty is with a lot of reading, because it's such an internal process, you have to have been in that moment to see the funny bit or the pathos bit. Mm -hmm. So they don't always share well. And I'm going to share with you my example of that. So it's a Terry Pratchett example. Um, and it is from his book, Guards, Guards. And he, which is the, um, the, uh, pastiche on, um, the, um, noir genre. And, um, and he's got in his world, um, the pathologist is coming along to examine a dead body and they're taking pictures. And the camera, obviously, because it's a Pratchett world, is a little box with an imp in who looks out of a window, paints the picture, (laughs) and then shoves the picture out of the slot. And I kid you not, there's a joke in that book, and I have yet to read it to the end without just a massive belly laugh. I know the one you're referring to. Because it's just funny. And whenever I say to anybody... You've got to read this. Nobody ever sees it as funny as I 
did at the time. And But it used to be that bad. I could never, if I was trying to tell somebody, I could never get to the punchline because I'd be laughing that hard. I couldn't get the punchline out. So sometimes the difficulty with dipping in and dipping out is it has context for you, but it doesn't share in the same way for other people. I think as well in the retelling, certainly that part, I mean, so the the bit the, the joke here, Emily, is that the, uh, the pathologist takes a photo and then someone goes, oh, can you, can you zoom in closer on that detail? And they take another photo closer in. Can you zoom in again even closer? And I keep going and keep going and keep going till we were on the, like, 10th zoom in. And the imp opens up the window and says, I'm running out of black paint here. <laughs> I think I think I've heard it or or read it or whatever, but I remember yeah. the imp thing. Um, Which I just think is hysterical. Yeah, he says, "Yeah, that's it." He says, "Thank God for that. I've run out of black." Now, that in itself is not funny, but in in his book with all of that yeah. parody going on, it's just hysterical. And it is that it is that whole depth of understanding of the the world and its and the place within the book. Um. Our time, ladies, is drawing swiftly to an end. We've, we've, we must conclude the episode, otherwise we'll be in lots of trouble for overrunning our slot. Very um, well. World Book Day is obviously something that all three of us truly adore and hold dearly. But if you were to give one recommendation, one book... I was waiting for this because I've got one I've been thinking about the whole show. And I'm, when can I mention it? <laughs> yeah, one book right now, one book to recommend. What would it be? Emily. Um, I think I've probably mentioned it on the show before, um, but it's the reading list. Um, let me just... Mm. I remember the author was called Sarah. Um, but it's basically, it's. I think it's almost like a manifesto for libraries and reading and getting everybody to read. Um, Sarah Nisha Adams is the one um, and it's a list that keeps appearing I think it was five different people who find this list they're all different kinds of people different kind of walks of life different cultures different races but they all decide to start reading these books and it actually brings them all together and in in the end they it's they're they're um, they come together to try and save the library because the library is going to get shut down it's a beautiful manifesto for the love of literature the way it brings people together and it, it's preserving the the print the printed word and the library, and it's beautiful. I pretty I re- remember quite vividly about bawling my eyes out at the end, but it's a very lovely book. So that's my recommendation. Wendy, quickly, because we're very very close, we're running out of time. But what would you? What would be mine? Would be Mister Penumbra's Twenty Four Hour Bookstore. I've it had that was, on my bookshelf forever and I've still not read it. <laughs> you have to read it. It was the book. You have to realise that Robin Sloan wrote that book specifically for me. When I read that book, I felt he was talking to me personally. But it is the most wonderful story. I love it. How about you, Jim? Well, very quickly, I think because it's a wonderful way of introducing yourself to be able to read a story and capture it quickly. The short stories of Roald Dahl. Mm. Volumes one and two. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't really matter what we recommend. Just go out and pick something up and oh, start just reading. read. <laughs> just and if you don't read. like it, chuck it away and buy something else. Just Yeah, just because you fa- don't like this one book doesn't mean that you can't read and that you're not a reader. It's right. that you haven't found the right thing. Absolutely Keep right. Dig it. Better yourself. Even we find books that we don't like, so they go in the bin. Not actually in the bin, just metaphorical bin. But then well, you just go for another one. That metaphorical <laughs> bin for me is often the uh, charity shop. <laughs> oh, the charity shop, definitely. I was just thinking the same yeah. thing. Right. That concludes tonight's episode. We can't talk for no longer as we're out of time. Next week, we will be discussing Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. I've possibly made an absolute buttering of the author's name. I apologise <laughs> if I have but I don't speak Japanese. But yes, next week, Clara and the Sun. Join us for part one. Happy happy World Book Day, everybody. World Book Day, everyone. Good reading. Bye.
This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks.